you to take your Bibles this morning and open to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. If you're using one of the Bibles there in the rows for you, it's page 983. Page 983. We're going to be looking at the end of chapter 1 and the very beginning of chapter 2, verses 124 through 2, verse 5. As we continue here in our study in Colossians of Christ above all. Christ above all. Um, One of the things I've noticed as we've been uh, doing our our refresh project here with the chairs and uh, painting and everything, and uh, we'll have some window treatments or whatever the technical term is for that, you know. But the sun shines in now, and it's nice. Except I notice we must have a lot of little girls that have glitter on their dresses. It's amazing. You walk in, and the sun catches them just right, and it's like, Glitter just exploded right there, you know. So uh, I might know a few of the culprits. Uh, I, I've, I've seen, uh, seen a few glittery dresses, but that's, that's fun. That's exciting. Uh, talking with our cleaner, Tammy, she mentioned that same thing. I said, it means we have kids here, and we rejoice in that. And so uh, that's, that's a fun thing I noticed this morning. If you found your way to Colossians chapter 1, I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then I'll read our passage together this morning. Father, we thank you again, for the opportunity to come and to worship you. Lord, as we've sung so many truths this morning, so many reminders about who Jesus is, we dare not think that we need to move on from Christ. Christ is the one whom all the law and the prophets speak about. He is the fulfillment. He is the yes and amen. He is the one who is King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, His is, is the only name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. His is the name that when it is pronounced, every knee will bow, every tongue confess, and everyone will recognize Him as Lord. Lord, may we make much of Jesus this morning in Your Word. May we see how suffering service for Him is worth it. And Lord, it is filled, yes, with difficulty, but there is a settled hope knowing what lies beyond. We thank you for your word. May you use it to make us more like Jesus. Lord, help me to clearly explain the text, to rehearse it to our folks here this morning, Lord, and that ultimately all of us would be made more like Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Colossians 1, verse 24 through 2, verse 5. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
I say this in order so that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Paul has been rehearsing here for the Colossians who they are in Jesus. Right From the very beginning, they are saints and faithful brothers in Christ. He gives thanks for them because of the hope that they have in Jesus. And in verses 9 through 14, he prays that they would walk in a manner worthy of their calling. And he reminds them of the redemption that is found in Jesus in verse 14. And then he goes off on this tangent in verses 15 through 20 of the greatness and supremacy of Jesus Christ. How above everything Jesus is. How supreme and awesome and majestic he is. But then in verses 21 through 23, he takes that majesty and that power and that glory and funnels it down to their personal lives, how Jesus has delivered them through his death on the cross to present them blameless and holy before God. And he calls them to continue in their faith steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel, not shifting from the hope of Jesus. And they were prone to wander, as the hymn would say, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. They have been wandering from the gospel because of false teachers. We'll get into that next week in chapter two here, but we have a hint of that even this morning in our passage. False teachers have crept into the church in Colossae and they've been preaching that there is something more than Jesus. There is something more for a follower of Jesus to seek after than just what's found in the gospel. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't more we can learn about God and his word, but rather there is something hidden or immaterial, almost mystical or a hyper-spiritualization of following Jesus. That they need to have this new revelation, this, this higher subjective event in their life. But Paul reminds them, no, Jesus is the hope. He is the one that we are to set our hope on. And he reminds them here in verses 24 through the beginning of chapter 2 of his ministry. Now, why does Paul do this? Well, as we've read before and as we'll read again, he's never met the church in Colossae. So he describes a little bit of his ministry, of his service, not only to them, but on behalf of God, his calling as an apostle, as a, as a follower of Jesus Christ, one who's been specifically commissioned to go and preach the good news. He kind of gives them the rundown of what he's been doing and why they should listen to him in a sense and reminds them again of where his hope is found and where their hope should be found. And in the midst of this, as he speaks of proclaiming Christ that it's all about him, he reminds them that in this Christian life and making much of Jesus, suffering service will be involved. Suffering is part of the Christian life. Serving is part of the Christian life. But Paul does this on behalf of those who need to hear it. And we are called to suffer and to serve as well for the gospel on behalf of those who need to hear it. <coughs> our big idea this morning is this 
the proclamation of Christ involves suffering service on behalf of those who need to hear it. Now that phrase, suffering service, probably reminds you of suffering servant. As we made our way through the Gospel of Mark, which seems like a long time ago, (laughs) that idea of Jesus being the ultimate suffering servant. He is serving others, but in his service, he's also suffering. He's sacrificing on his own behalf. And we are called as his disciples to take up that cross to to deny ourselves and follow after him. Being a follower of Jesus Christ involves being a suffering servant as well. Now, it might look different 2,000 years removed from the time of Christ, but that mindset and that willingness to be used by God must be present. So let's look here at these verses and see how suffering is part of the plan and how Paul's service is aimed at the local church. First off, Suffering is part of the plan. Verse 24. Paul continues following up verse 23 of him becoming a minister. But he says this in verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings. Now right there, I have a problem. Because I don't like to do that. (laughs) My sufferings are not a rejoicing, but rather a... uh, Well, I complain. Let's just say that. (laughs) I complain. I moan. This is so hard. Ah, this or that. And I come to my wife and I, she's like, yeah, okay. She's much more kind and compassionate than I am. (laughs) But the idea of sufferings, we are not prone to rejoice in suffering. Suffering is not necessarily something that we think of rejoicing in. But Paul does. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings. Now that idea of rejoicing is not because of his sufferings. He's not saying, I'm rejoicing because life is hard right now. He's rejoicing in his sufferings for the Colossians' sake. He has a motivation and a purpose behind his rejoicing. He's not a masochist. He doesn't love pain and punishment and difficulty, but rather he's rejoicing in his sufferings because of what God is doing through them. If we remind ourselves here, Paul is in prison as he's writing this letter. He's in prison. More than likely, he's either under house arrest or he's chained to another individual, another guard. It's not an easy existence. It's difficult. He's been persecuted for his faith, for sharing the gospel, for the lies that have been said about him. But he's rejoicing for their sake, for the sake of those who are hearing his writing for the sake of those who need to know Jesus. Philippians is all about this idea of rejoicing in sufferings as well. Paul says it again and again of having joy, of rejoicing, of of though he's in chains, though, right? You know, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. So whether I am in prison, whether this, 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 or that, I'm going to rejoice. Why? Because of what God has him doing. He's rejoicing in his sufferings because of his ministry. And what is that? It says here in the second half of verse 24, he rejoices in my suffering for your sake and in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. Now that's an interesting phrase. He says, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, Christ's sufferings. 
Is Paul saying that Jesus didn't suffer enough and so God is taking out his extra vengeance on Paul? No, that's not what he's saying. Christ's death was sufficient, complete, perfect, done. What Paul is speaking about here is this idea of filling up, is the idea of of being filled with, of overflowing, of living out. He is living out what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Boil that down. What does he mean by that? Paul is suffering like Jesus on behalf of those who love Jesus. Paul is suffering on behalf of churches. He's living out his faith in Christ, for we know those who desire to live a godly life will suffer persecution. They will suffer uh, hardships and difficulties. And Paul is saying, I'm experiencing those things because I'm serving Jesus. I am serving his body. He sees that suffering is not something that is removed from following Jesus, but rather it is often something that accompanies it. Verse 25, he says, Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. He speaks of his calling. If you remember in the book of Acts, Paul hated Christians. He was arresting Christians. He wanted to persecute and kill Christians. And then God said, no more. I'm going to have you work for me now, Paul. And on the road to Damascus, as Jesus appeared to Paul and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He's blinded. Three days later, he's healed. And he's commissioned by God to go to the Gentiles. Particularly to those who have never heard anything about Jesus. Yes, he ministers to the Jews in the synagogues. But his goal is to spread that gospel to those who are outside of the circumcision. Those who are far removed from the nation of Israel and the law of Moses. To the pagan world. That's his commission. And through his sufferings, through filling up what Christ has endured, Paul is saying, this is part of God's plan for me. Part of following after Jesus in means enduring difficulties. Because when you're serving God and seeking to preach the gospel, people aren't going to like it. And they're going to respond in different ways that are not kind. Paul is preaching. And he's preaching to make the word of God fully known. Fully revealed. Fully proclaimed. In verse 26 here, he has this huge run-on sentence. Right? Paul is somewhat of an English teacher's nightmare with his run-on sentences. They just keep going and going and going. and We, in our translation, split them up sometimes with punctuation, but Paul ain't about punctuation. He's all about one big idea here. He has this stewardship to make known the word of God to Gentiles, suffering as Christ suffered. Verse 25, and this mystery hidden for ages and generations but is now revealed to his saints. What is this mystery? Well, mystery is a mystery, but what is being revealed? It's Christ. It's the fact that God has sent Jesus Christ to redeem people. The Messiah, the anointed one, who is fully God, fully man, in one human individual who has died, who has been raised again, who is now seated at the right hand of the Father, 
who through his death, burial, and resurrection delivers people from their sin. Great, that's the mystery. But it's for everybody, not just for the Jews. That's the mystery that is now revealed. It's Christ. And Christ is for everybody. He says, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. So the gospel, Jesus, is for everybody, not just the Jews. And what is the glory of this mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. The content of this mystery is the person and work of Jesus Christ for everyone. And Paul says, this is why we suffer to make Jesus known to you. Paul does not suffer for his own sake. Paul does not suffer and serve to make himself look good. I love verse 28. Him we proclaim. Jesus is the one that Paul is proclaiming. Jesus is the one that we want to proclaim. We're not here to make you feel good. We're here to point you to Jesus. That's why we exist. That's what the Word of God does. It doesn't say, oh, you're fine. Chin up. Get on. You're good. It's sunny out. No, it says Jesus is God's Son who's come to die for you. You need to repent of your sin and believe in Him. And there is hope and joy and peace. Him we proclaim. Warning everyone. Because if you don't trust in Jesus, you're going to hell. And if you have trusted Christ, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. We get a little hint here of the content of what Paul's proclaiming. He's proclaiming Jesus, not angels, not some higher thinking, not some spiritual plane ascension, but Jesus himself. This is what he's proclaiming. And he says, for this I toil. That word toil is the idea of sacrifice, of laborious work. The idea of hard work that bends your back. Toiling, right? Many of you in here know what it means to toil. But this is wonderful. He says, for this I toil, struggling with all my energy and strength that I can muster. No. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Suffering is part of the plan of God as we seek to follow after Jesus. Now our suffering will look different. Right? Our suffering right now does not look like being arrested or thrown in prison because we're preaching the gospel. It could. <laughs> the way that this world is going in our country itself, it might come to that point where if Pastor James and I stand up here and we proclaim the truth of God's word concerning marriage and sexuality and abortion and all manner of sin and lawlessness, it might come to a point where that would be outlawed. Thankfully, it's not there yet. But this idea of suffering, Paul understood the cost of proclaiming Christ, but it was worth it because of the message that he was preaching, the hope of Jesus Christ. Suffering is part of the plan. I think we need to understand that when we seek to follow after Jesus, follow after Christ, that if something goes wrong or is difficult, that doesn't mean we're failing. And I think we have this idea in, 
in our lives as we make decisions. That if we encounter difficulty with the decision we make that's hard, that we made the wrong decision. That's not how it works. Right? Sometimes the right decision, the most God-honoring decision, is the decision that brings suffering and difficulty. Right? If we're always seeking to live an easy life, then we are, we're searching for something that is, that is not the gospel, that is not Jesus. Now, I'm not saying we're out looking for trouble and difficulties and, yeah, the more the merrier, but the fact that as we live our life, hardship comes. People respond differently to our preaching of the gospel, of our, of our testimony of Jesus' love for us. Understand the cost of living for Jesus. Suffering is part of God's plan. Suffering is how God uses things in our lives to make us more like Jesus, right? James 1, count it all joy, my brothers, when you fall into various trials. We don't have joy because, yay, a trial. We have joy because what God is doing through the trial, right? He's making us more like Jesus. Suffering is part of following after Christ. It's part of the plan. Paul understood that. Yet Paul knew, hey, I'm proclaiming Christ, and it is worth the suffering. I can rejoice knowing the message that I'm communicating is worth it. Secondly here, as he suffers, it's part of the plan, his service is aimed at the local church, at gatherings of fellow believers. Verse, or chapter 2, verse 1, For I want you to know how great a struggle, another the idea of toiling, right? Struggling I have for you and for those at Laodicea. These are churches. These are gatherings of believers. Paul's aim was to encourage groups, gatherings, local churches. He says his struggle is for, for them and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Because there were churches started by other followers of Jesus. Some ministered to by Paul and, and some Paul never visited but he is toiling, he is serving those that they may be encouraged, verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Paul shifts now from his broader ministry of, of everything to reaching specific local churches. And his ministry is a struggle. It involves effort and work. And often in ways that aren't necessarily physical. Teaching, prayer, correction. Just emotional <laughs> attachment to. And his ministry is geared towards presenting people mature. That they be encouraged, verse 2. Knit together in love. Reaching all the riches of full assurance of understanding. This sounds a lot like verses 9 through 14. Of what Paul prays for them that they would grow in spiritual maturity to be more like Jesus. And he points them back to Christ. An understanding of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This is key, because he's describing what Christ contains, who he is. He is the source of, of all wisdom and knowledge. And that will come into play in chapter, the end of chapter 2 here, because 
the false teachers were pointing to something more than just Jesus. And Paul is saying, no, he is the end-all, be-all. He is the source of these things. And he says this in order that no one may delude them with plausible arguments. That idea of plausible arguments are arguments that sound good, right? That sounds good. You ever stayed up too late and are watching TV and they're selling things? And you're like, I think I need that. I might need three of those. Nineteen ninety-five for four months. I can do that, right? <laughs> it's plausible. It sounds good. You didn't know you needed it until you heard it, and you're like, "Oh, yeah." That's that idea of a plausible argument. Well, Paul says, "No, don't be taken away with that. Don't be deluded. Don't be tricked." He says, "Focus on Christ. He is enough. He is the. He is the one who is the source of all wisdom." And knowledge. It's not this hyper-spiritualization, this, this more, this elusive thing that's out there that we're to be seeking after and only few find. No, it's right here in Jesus, he says. And this is what he's about, is serving churches, serving believers, saying, it's about Jesus. It's about him. He is the source. And he does this, verse 5. Though he's absent from them in the body, he's not there. Yet I am with you in spirit. He's, he's praying. He's rejoicing to see their good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. The ultimate goal is to know Jesus by making him known, proclaiming him. And this warning against false teaching of promoting wisdom outside of Christ or above Christ or more than Christ, it sounds good, but yet it is false. And Paul, though he's not there, cares deeply for them. And wants them to grow. He is concerned. His desire is to see these believers grow and mature. Paul understands that proclaiming Christ involves suffering serving on behalf of others. Suffering is part of the plan. Service is, is for the local church. For This service is, is aimed at bodies of believers. So what does it mean for us today? Three quick points of, of application here. First off, suffering and sacrifice is part of being a Christian. I already mentioned this, and you know this, but I think this is important to challenge our thinking with this. As Jesus talks to his disciples in the Gospels, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross daily and follow after me. That's the idea of denying self, of serving someone other than yourself. Throughout the New Testament, we have record of people suffering for the cause of Christ, for the sake of Jesus. It's not just super Christians that suffer, but all of us are called to be ready to suffer. That doesn't mean every day to the same degree, but in different ways. Some of you who work in the secular world, you are confronted with issues of morality and ethics that go contrary to the gospel and to the word of God. And there you are, having to make difficult decisions. Do I speak up? Do I not say something? Am I, am I going to be overlooked for a promotion or a position because I believe this versus somebody who doesn't? Right? Living for Jesus involves these difficult things in our lives. It involves sacrifice. You have made a sacrifice to be here. You could be anywhere 
at this moment, and you have chosen to come and to gather with the local body. Many of you serve in different ways. It's a sacrifice. Now, it may not be huge, but in little ways. It's a, it's a taking of your time, energy, talents, abilities to serve others that you may not be thanked for or uh, nobody may, may see it, but yet God does. And it's what we're called to do. We don't do it for the thanks. We do it because we love Jesus and we want to serve him. It involves sacrifice. It involves putting up with some crying babies in the nursery, changing a dirty diaper, trying to corral kids in children's church, Right, helping paint, getting paint on your favorite painting sweatshirt, right? of making another meal or a pan of bars or writing a note, giving a phone call, taking your time and your energy and your effort and thinking of others to encourage them. It's part of being a Christian. Secondly, as we think of proclaiming Christ through suffering service, it's all about Jesus, meaning it's not all about us. It's not about us. It's about making much of him, of pointing people to him, a living life in a way in which our lives are a living testimony matched by what we say. It's all about Christ. It has to be. Because if it's about us, then we make ourselves God, and that's idolatry. It has to be about God. It has to be. Every choice, every decision you make, you were created to give glory to God because he deserves it, because he's God. And God is about bringing himself glory because if he wasn't, then he wouldn't be God. God is all about himself and he invites us to be all about him by using us to bring him honor and glory, to point other people to him through our interactions in a checkout your interactions with a neighbor, the quality of your work, what you think, what you say, what you do when no one is watching. It's all about him. Third, as we see in this section here is Paul's care and concern. It's for the spiritual maturity of people. It's a priority. Yes, they're suffering. Paul is suffering. But yet his concern is for the spiritual maturity of growth in Christ-likeness. Paul understands what God is about. He's about making people like Jesus. And he does that through difficulties, through hardships, through taking things away that we may hold in our hands, but yet have become idols. There's a sermon I listened to recently, and the pastor, as he was preaching, said this. He says, God often breaks our heart to mend our character. Breaking our hearts often involves taking something that may be an idol away, or something that we cling to in ways that, that is not right or good. But God does so because of his love for us and his desire to see us grow spiritually. The care and concern for the spiritual maturity of people was priority to Paul and it's priority to God to make us more like him. Because as we become more like Christ, as we display his character within ourselves, we see how our motivations and affections are turned to love God more and to be satisfied in what he loves. And in doing so, there's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control manifest in our lives 
so that as we give up things, we realize we find more than we ever had in Christ. We proclaim Christ, and it involves suffering service on behalf of those who need to hear it. So as we think today, are you willing to be a suffering servant on behalf of those who need to hear it? Maybe somebody here, God has been working in your heart and life and is calling you to the mission field to use your gifts and abilities in a way that is in a full-time vocational sense that you go to somewhere that they don't know Jesus and you dig in and you start preaching or serving or using your abilities. Maybe you're here and you say, that, that's not me, okay. But how can God use your drill, your chainsaw, your oven, your phone, your car to help others come to know Jesus, to be an encouragement and help others grow? Are you willing to serve him with whatever it takes? Paul was, and we see his heart here. And it's not a comparison to Paul, like be like Paul. Those are, there's a great example. But ultimately, it's because of Jesus, because of the message of hope we have in him, that it's worth it, that Christ really is everything. He is the one whom in his hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. May we proclaim Christ with suffering service on behalf of those who need to hear it, knowing that it's worth it because of Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the challenge that it is, Lord, challenge to me in my own life, Lord, of being willing to be used by you in whatever way to proclaim Christ, to make much of him, to help others become more mature in their walk, Lord, to guard their thinking. Lord, to grow myself, to be more like Jesus. Lord, may that be our prayer. As Paul speaks here to the Colossians, and as he's prayed, that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit. Lord, making much of Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. If you would please stand. We're going to sing a song in response to God's word. The first and fourth verses of your will be